0: This is The Right Direction, where we talk to professional storytellers and writers, and we discuss their craft and how they sell it. I'm your host, A.G. MacDonald, and let's get started with the show. All right, we are here today with Antoine Bandelay, who is an author of many books, but most recently, uh, he is the author of By Sea and Sky, which is the first book in the Sky Pirate Chronicles. So thank you for coming on today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, so, I guess to start off with, why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, and then perhaps a little bit about what the what the Sky Pirate Chronicles is about.
1: Uh, so, yeah, my name is Antoine. I am an entrepreneur in like the truest form of it. I do I wear many video, uh, many hats. I do video editing for a lot of YouTube channels. Uh, previously, I used to work for Just Kidding Films. I currently work for Gina Darling and uh and Case, which are two vlog channels. And I um, run my own YouTube channel uh, called Antoine Vandele, of the same name, where I do geeky stuff and all that kind of stuff. But I also uh, do publishing. I have a small little publishing imprint uh, where I uh, publish myself, and I want to say four other authors at this time, Uh, about to be a fifth because I'm doing another children's book with someone else uh, right now and currently. Um, So I got into the writing thing, as most writers do, because I just didn't have the book or the story that I wanted to see. So I just wrote it myself. Uh, This was probably after season five or six of Game of Thrones. And I went to Google, looked up African fantasy, um, didn't see a lot. There's a few, like you know, you have your Nnedi Okorafor and um, NK Jemison. and at that time, Tomi Adeyemi had just like come onto the scene. Like they were saying that you know this this Harvard grad had just got a six-figure deal, or sorry, a seven-figure deal uh, with like Fox at the time. But now Lucasfilm took over for um, Children of Blood and Bone, which is her her um, debut novel. Uh, so yeah, I just got into it by doing that, and I first did a book called The Kishi. Which was based on Angola folklore. Uh, and then I went on, and part of that story had a pirate thing in it. Like the main character, his backstory was that he was a pirate. So then I was like, oh, let me like do a story on like the people he used to hang out with. Uh, and that's where the Sky Pirate Chronicles came about.
0: Yeah. Well, t- to be honest, it, the re- most refreshing thing about the entire book to read was the fact that this world didn't feel like every other fantasy story out there. Like they can become very generic and and obviously adding that that other culture that we don't hear about very often and and it it being inspired by that culture just gave it a fresh take and it just felt like i was reading something for the first time rather than thinking you know i've read this before which
1: <laughs> happens right. more often than i would like which apparently too now even just the the fact that it's based on um african myth or swahili specifically for this one in caribbean and a little bit of um, arabia is in there but um i've been told there's actually not a lot of nautical fantasy and i was like really it seems like that's a very easy <laughs> genre for, well, to exist except for well, like red seas under red skies i've heard um and some others i'm like really nautical fantasies aren't isn't the thing well it's funny that you say that actually because
0: one of my things that's kind of a my kryptonite when it comes to um fantasy stories is having sky pirates and i don't know if that stems from I don't know, all of my favorite movies, like Ghibli movies and, and even games like Final Fantasy, they, they all have these Sky Pirates in them. Even
1: Star Wars has like Sky Pirates Bad to vibe. an extent. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned that because Final Fantasy XII is one of my all-time favorite uh, Final Fantasies, and that one is very, very tied to Sky Pirates. And actually, Well, they the literally characters... call them Sky Pirates in that one. <laughs> yeah, they're actually called Sky Pirates. And um, I actually, uh, one of my characters um, was based, and two of my characters actually were based on characters in that Uh, project, and that would have been Fawn was originally based on Fran from Final Fantasy 12, and Balthier uh, influenced Shamari uh, in this, who are, you know, two of my non-human characters. Uh, Balthier obviously was a human character, and uh, Fran was a Oh, what was the name of that? those species in the Final Fantasy Twelve. I forgot. Uh, v- Vila? Vila? I think they were, they were Vila or whatever. I, uh, but yeah, they I were I don't think by... I ever
0: actually remembered how to say it. <laughs> like, I think I can just see it. I can't say it. Right. Well, it's, it's funny that you say that you're inspired by those two characters because I feel like those two characters were directly inspired by um, Han and Chewie. Uh, they're just very different. <laughs> right. Viera um,
1: uh, Fran. She's uh, from the Viera race. That's the one. I, I, I mean, never would have gone on, on my head. I think Dula is, uh, <laughs> is Harry Potter, if I'm not mistaken. It's okay. You can get them all mixed up
0: sometimes. <laughs> yeah. um, but the funny thing about this is that uh, when we're talking about Sky Pirates, all of these examples that I come up with, you know, be them Final Fantasy, Star Wars, Ghibli, like, they're all movies and video games. Like when, now that you've said it, when I think back, I can't really think of a lot of pirate-based fantasies in books. So it's, it's actually kind of a thing. It's real. Like I didn't think it was, but it,
1: it really is a, a thing, a, a lack in the market. Right. Cause I just had a review done by um, one of the, a YouTuber, like a notable, or she's becoming a very notable book, booktuber. Her name is um, Murphy Napier. And yep. she actually mentioned that. Oh, you know about her? Yeah. Yeah. I know who she is. Yeah. She just literally this morning, it was talking about my book. Cause she just did it. She did her blog, reading blog, whatever. And she was like, you know, had talking about her thoughts. And she was like, yeah, not a cool fantasy. Like, I love it. And I, was, and I don't get to see much of it. I'm like, oh, wow. Like, let me look it up. And I'm like, yeah, that's true. There's not really that many. I guess it's
0: one of those things that you just assume that, that it's there and it, it's not. Um, <laughs> but one of the other things I think was really great. Not only was it the culture and not only was it the Sky Pirate things, but you you took these, what would be seen as probably maybe small changes with the characters and yet, they make such a big difference and I think one of the big differences that I noticed is often when we have stories with a strong female protagonist she's not allowed to have a love interest because for some reason a love interest means that she's weak and I don't quite understand that logic but in this she has a husband and he's very integral to the plot like she's trying to find her husband in in the beginning of this book and and I just thought that that was a dynamic that we don't often get to see.
1: Yeah, that's something that reviewers stick to very well when they were like, um, oh my goodness. Well, for one, they're already married because they're used to you know having the the romance and the chase yeah, kind of happen, the happen during, <laughs> yeah, during the, the story. And then it happens. At the, but no, it's like this is post all of that. They've already had met each other, already been married for years. Um, it's funny too, because in, in their relationship in the story is actually pretty... Sh- we're seeing a strain part of the relationship because it's a lot of stress. Because the reason why they're in it in the first place is to... Uh, stave off the disease that her husband has and that's the reason why it's a piracy because that's the only place they can earn enough coin to you know um, handle it Uh, but but also yeah they they have the stress of like you know nearly being killed every day and just you know the stress of him having his disease so like a lot of the relationship is actually very strained in it um, which as we go on further in the series we'll see them kind of coming to terms of like you know how far they've gone or how much are losing sight of their relationship because they're, you know, just so focused, mostly Zolov is focused on, you know, the task of saving him. And and I guess that again is, is just
0: something different, a different take of um, almost like the reality of happily ever after.
1: Right. It's like the seasons five through nine of Jim and Pam from the office. Um, I think that's relevant enough that a lot, not enough people can know about that, but it's like uh yeah, you see, like, you know, in, in, in the beginning of The Office uh, TV series, I, um, I'm i not sure about the, the UK version, but I'm not sure the American version, uh, they had the whole, you know. Well,
0: that that whole dynamic
1: was in the UK one, but they got together at the end, and that was it. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they get, so in The Office in the, the, the States, they get together, I think, in season three, or at the end of season three. Um, and we can see them go through, you know, marriage and going through their ruts and stuff like that. And I think that's something that we don't see often enough. Like we always just have like the romanticize. Yeah, chase, together now. Everything's the, yeah, happy forever. Exactly. And nothing bad don't ever happens afterwards. ever again.
0: <laughs> right. No, and, and it's funny that you say that because I actually literally just finished watching the um, American Office last week, so I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> nice. Um, and I think that's. That's definitely what I hope, not, not necessarily exactly the same thing, but definitely what I hope to see in this, because it's a more realistic take that it's not right. just like, Hey, they got married and all their problems got solved, which is where I think that initial response of strong female characters can't be married and they can't have a relationship comes from, I think it comes from the fact that so often in storytelling, these characters, once they're married off, everything's fine. And, and that's obviously quite unrealistic. Right. No, no, I'm there with you. Um, And actually speaking of your um, YouTube channel, I did actually happen to go over and look at your YouTube channel and I watched a few of your videos and I was so happy um, to see someone talking about the Mandalorian in a, in a realistic sense. I think it was from a video a couple of weeks ago that you had (laughs) about season two. And I was so happy. Look, because... You should know that there's an unwritten or probably um, very heavily spoken rule that I have on here that I end up talking about Star Wars in every single episode of this podcast. Oh, there you go. That's funny. Um, (laughs) So it's going to happen. We're going to talk about it and it's going to happen. But anyway, um, the thing that you were saying was that the Mandalorian was good, but... It wasn't necessarily the be-all, end-all, best thing since the original Star Wars that everyone made it out to Which be. Which is think, being touted as, yeah, yeah. And I think it was totally a reaction to that. <clears throat> I hate the sequels, and so all of a yep. sudden it it became this this symbol of of hope for the future of Star
1: Wars. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> very it much. Doesn't mean there's so. no room
0: for improvement. <laughs> like,
1: yeah, and especially it, I think that especially those early episodes, I feel like it was definitely like trying to find itself like i don't think it really like identified itself until like the attachment of the child and mandalorian or mando um, because before yeah it, it, the pacing is is a little bit slow there's sometimes some just like just like awkward moments i mean it's good I'm not saying it's not, it's one of my, it's literally, I'm with everybody else in that it's my favorite thing that's come out like since, you know, Disney took over and Lucasfilm changed hats with uh, Kathleen Kennedy. Uh, But I still am realistic in saying that, you know, it's not the best thing. Like it still needs some improvement, you know?
0: Yeah. And well, well, I think to me, the reason why it is maybe not as good as people say in my mind is the fact that um, the world is being Explored one little chunk at a time, and they're not connected. If it was a more long-form storytelling, say like your Game of Thrones, yeah, it's very one-off.
1: It's very one-offy.
0: Yeah, like, and I think in the age of streaming, you know, there's there's no reason why you can't have that long-form storytelling because on Disney Plus, people can just go back and watch the previous episodes. It's not like back in the olden days when you know we were children when you'd ha- have to actually physically watch, to watch it on TV. Do. And if you missed yeah, it, look a sp- out <laughs> a specific time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you missed it, look out, you, you weren't able to watch it again. Um, so yeah, I just, that's, that's one thing that I didn't understand. And, and I think it wasn't maybe the best choice. And also like, one episode with Ming-Na Wen and then just like nothing I was like
1: oh yeah a lot, of that that? Too, a lot of like guest stars and stuff like that I yeah. also think that um uh homie uh well, oh my goodness uh dude play Gus uh Gustavo Fring um uh, I'm forgetting his yeah, name yeah. um uh the, the actor's name is Desp- De- Despacito or exactly not Despacito, Despacito, Despacito about? is is slowly in Spanish that's not how you say it, but Espacito I think is his last name um I also thought he was just like like you were like oh my god it's so great and I was like it's He's kind of just doing the same thing he's doing with Gus or like a slightly different version. Like it doesn't, <laughs> I don't think any of the performances He's just um, in a Star Wars was, uniform. Right, exactly. Like, I don't think some of this stuff is more And then people like getting really stoked about the Darksaber. I think they do. And they know that. I, I think the, the writers uh, and the teams who, who put these together understand how to generate hype. But I haven't quite seen yet, at least consistently since Kathleen Kennedy took over Lucasfilm Uh, storytelling like just i mean except for maybe clone wars but i'm not into clone wars either like i've always been into like the original multimedia project back from like 2003 2005 with the um uh the original clone wars stuff with the comic books and the novels and the little shorts and so i haven't really been huge into star wars in the way that i probably or people assume that i should be you know as being a star wars fan
0: yeah well the thing is i think it comes down to something that I think you did well in your book, which comes back full circle, um, which is the world building. And I think what you did versus what they did in the new star Wars movies is they were constantly thinking 12 steps ahead and like, how can we expand this into more movies and more Mm. characters and more merchandise and, and stuff like that? They were always thinking ahead and they weren't specifically thinking about that story. And I've seen, in most mediums, particularly though, uh, books, movies, and to a lesser extent, TV, I see quite often people will start something and you can see that they've planted about 75 seeds for future content. And I'm like, okay, just have one good story. Cause like, if you look at yeah. the original star Wars, it was a one and done, wrapped up story. Like really, a New Hope you can really watch
1: on its own. Yeah, like you can yeah. watch New Hope and just be like, okay, that that's the end.
0: And that's the thing. That's why I th- I feel like you dealt with this story. You know, with obviously it can lead into the future things, but it's not. It wasn't like okay, I get it. He's setting up like five spinoffs, and he's doing like it just
1: didn't have that. It <laughs> no, felt like I'm just it setting was up its one story. story. Yeah.
0: yeah. And Just well, one kind of story
1: that well. that's leading to, not multiple. <laughs> Though no, I do have, right. I mean, to, to say that I do, I actually do have, like, um, novellas that are attached to Like, there is a prequel to, um, uh, to By Sea and Sky called Stone Skin, which is how Jelani contracted his disease and how, like, the stone can, like, the same way that we saw with uh, the Fae the character, the Yokaja at the end, how she got it. It's the same way that uh, Jelani got it. Um, so I do have, like, offshoot stories, but they're never, like... Um, a mandatory thing. It's more like a, an Easter egg or like a, an extra like oh hey if you know about it you, it's, you get like an extra little tidbit, but it's not like a requirement or anything Like I feel like that does kind of happen to you with Star Wars that they get to the point where like they'll start naming stuff and it's like I don't know what any of that means, but I know that like <laughs> The uber, uber people who are like following everything are like, you know Oh, they mentioned that thing that was in that comic in that one You're panel. Like, I don't even know. know what that is like- Yeah <laughs> Yeah, well, but that's the thing I guess is that if
0: you're a skilled writer and you're writing a story you can totally pepper in those references that you can flesh out later. It's just, I think with a lot of things lately, it's just, just don't do it in a heavy handed way that
1: as you say, it feels mandatory. That was like almost like half of rogue one. It was just references.
0: Well, yeah, that's the, but that's, I guess that's the callbacks as well. Yeah. Like, Hey, remember this thing? Remember that thing? Mm. Remember that? (laughs) Yep.
1: Remember? (laughs)
0: <laughs> exactly. Um, so when we're talking about creating worlds, um, how, how do you go about creating a world like, like this one, for example, how, how did you
1: go about that? Like what, what sparked the idea? Uh, so I'm doing all, so all of these books that I'm doing. So the Kishi, which is from the Tales of s series and then by Sea Guy sky, which is part of the sky Chronicles, chronicles. Uh, these are all technically prequels like i'm basically writing prequels to like I, I usually equate it to um game of thrones uh or sorry i should really say like a song of ice and fire uh, it says as, as if it's as if i am writing about robert's rebellion before actually writing a game of thrones um and that i am building out the world bit by bit so for instance in my first book i wrote about like south um southwest Essos, one um and then uh, now i'm writing about like the islands which are like they like Eastern Esawon, and then like, you know, I have another story that I'm developing right now, which is going to take place in like Northwest um, Africa, but it is based on Africa, Uh, Esawon. And then all of this stuff is going to, I'm going to build the world out slowly. So right now I'm focusing just on the pirate stuff and I'm just like making sure that that like feels fully formed. And then I'll, you know, go to my next series and build out that until it all becomes just one big world where, you know, I eventually have like, you know, a Westeros or an Essos kind of a thing. Uh, And then I start telling like the main saga, epic fantasy, you know, kind of tale. But right now these are all like smaller, I say smaller, but they're actually pretty long books, uh, smaller uh, stories that are leading up to that.
0: Well, I guess the way you've described it sounds more so to me like the way Marvel did it, the way, yeah,
1: or that, yeah, that's actually a big one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. They had their individual stories that, that, that ended up culminating in, um, in one big Avengers movies, the Avengers. Movie movies. With the Avengers. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm sure you won't do what they did later, which was just to collapse under the weight of references that, that they had and the amount of ridiculous callbacks and, and end title sequences that I had no idea who that was. And I'm like, am I supposed <laughs> to care about that? <laughs> like, yeah. It's kind of um, hard,
1: especially when it was at the uh, in game fight. where it's just like, everyone's there. It's like, yeah. it's hard to keep track. <laughs> it's like, it was, okay. It just like, take it easy. Just cause
0: everyone said yes to be in this movie. Doesn't mean you have to have everyone in it. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's a really great way to build up a world is to have multiple series. And I guess someone else who's done that, maybe in a less calculated sense um would be stephen king because like all of his stories kind of tie together
1: are they do they really tie together i had no idea
0: yeah like i think i think that the um what's the fantasy one called the dark tower i think that helps tie. that's probably one of the only ones i haven't read which is that's a place why and, like, the future it. of like
1: the same place the like care universe is just the past of the dark tower <laughs>
0: Yeah, I think I think like somehow that links the worlds together or something. But but there's little callbacks to each one in and I think they're all set in Maine just about. So like that probably Mm. helps link them together. So yeah, I think a lot of his tie together too. So I think it's a really good idea because you
1: Brandon He's Sanderson has that, has that too with his uh, Cosmere uh, universe uh, with, you know, Wave Kings and uh, Mistborn and all his other works. You know, those are all within the same universe, as he calls it, but they're all like in different galaxies or whatever. Um, and they're supposed to be all connected. Well, and I guess that's the good thing
0: is you're creating something that, you know, they, they could come to this uh, Sky Pirates book or they could come to another book and they could right. read that and be just done with that if they chose right. to. Or yep. they could go out and read something else. It's not dependent on having read every single book because then it kind of becomes inaccessible to newcomers. So I, I think that's a really, really
1: smart. And, and that's totally the thing. Like I'm actually writing like very distinctly different. Like the first one, the Kishi is like dark fantasy, like bordering on horror because it's like these creatures that, that prey on people with like hyenas on the back of their heads. And then Sky is more of like the action adventure uh, series and then I'm writing this other one which is like a military fantasy and then I have this other one I'm doing which is kind of like a not romancy but it's it's a, a very sexual it's about um, love potions and people who work in brothels so so I've figured out what I'm gonna like <laughs> target that to or what the marketing is for that but it's like it's sexy urban fantasy but it's not urban in the sense that it's not modern so it's hard I gotta figure that out but I'm making a bunch of different kinds of stories for each series for that very reason so you know someone can just read one and be like be done with it you know you don't necessarily have to read all the other ones
0: yeah but well as an eclectic reader i love this idea and i don't get to see it very often but i love this idea of having the same universe with multiple genres within it 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 very
1: rarely happens but i love that idea yeah, no, definitely. And it's something even that Star Wars does a little bit, not so much in, in terms of the movies where they kind of try to do that with the, um, the standalone movies when they did Solo and Rogue One. Um, but it's something that they've done really well in the expanded universe, uh, which is now called Legends, which is st- still to me is expanded universe, honestly. Um, but they use, they, with that expanded universe, they can tell different kinds of stories. Like there's one of my favorite uh, books from there it's called lost stars that came out during the new inquisition with disney uh and it's basically a ya romance but yep. with one person on the imp- i have read empire. that book and it's, it's so amazing good. yes it's, and it's so great. good so that, that kind of thing you lend your, you have the ability to do that if you allow if you allow for it and if you have a world big enough for it too
0: yeah and i think you know obviously they have the um unparalleled you know, brand loyalty of star Wars fans. Um, so, you know, they can experiment with some other things, but that's why I love, I love that, um, reading star Wars expanded universe content and they can be completely different, which is why I agreed again with what you said in the Mandalorian trailer, where it's like, I was kind of hoping we weren't going to get the Jedi in there because it's like, it pulls us back into that same safe storytelling that, that we've had already, um, rather than going off somewhere new. But, I mean, we'll see how that pans out, but, um, no, I really love that idea. So I'm, I'm super excited to hear that you've got multiple
1: irons in the fire that are different genres. Yeah. And also there's just different people in the world. So I don't feel like any one story or there should be the same story for every kind of character, you know, if I having, if I'm having somebody who's using illegal love potions in a brothel, that's going to be a different kind of story than from someone who's swashbuckling on, you know, sea ships and then the, you know, the birth of new airships, like that's just inherently yeah, different. exactly.
0: Yeah. Um, so when you're creating these worlds, how long would you give the sort of initial concept to beginning writing, or do you just jump straight in and see how you go?
1: Oh no, I am not. I am not a discovery writer. i I've, I've tried that semi before and it's just, it's just a lot of editing. Like to me, it's just a lot yep. of editing. I know some people can do it, but, um, I'm very much, uh, what. I forget who said this, some author said this, but there's like architects versus versus something else. Um, People basically panthers versus uh, uh, plotters, and I'm definitely a plotter. Um, I plot all the way down to like the beat level. So I start with, you know, the big acts, like what is the big act? What are the main eight eight points of story? I think I have like normal world, uh, uh, what is it, inciting incident, and then uh, reactive phase. So like the the hero's journey steps. Yeah, a little bit like, similar to that yes and then so i'll map that out and then i'll map out okay so what are the smaller beats and I, oh the way i write too so the way i write which i'm not sure if it's similar to other authors or not but I, I think it's relatively unique to me is i write kind of episodically so when i do work with beta readers i do um, a thing called sequences and those sequences will have um, you know a certain amount of, of chapters so for, for example for by sea and sky so the first episode slash sequence was basically all that stuff with Zala on the ship and then all the intro stuff to Kareem and then it flips. So I just focus in on like those five to seven chapters and say, okay, does this tell a story? Could this like seem like its own episode kind of a thing? And then when I break it down to that, then I can start breaking down. Okay. What are the chapters? Okay. Now what are the scenes? And then what are the beats? Like I literally go down to the beat level before I like actively like really start writing. And then it goes off the rails anyway, usually. But the thing is that I always have goalposts that I know that I need to get to so that I'm not just writing into, you know, the wind. Yeah. And you don't write yourself into a corner. And that's why I'm absolutely
0: there with you. Like I have, when I, plan. Cause I mean, I have to plan cause in my head, it just wouldn't work otherwise. Right. Um, when I plan, I will have like tens of thousands of words in a single document that's like plotted out every point, every facet of the world that I can possibly think of at that point. And, and it's obviously you can change it as you go along, but it gives you that firm ground because otherwise I just feel like you end up writing, half the story, and I think it was Quentin Tarantino that said this, you end up writing half the story, then you got to go back and write it again, because only by the time you get halfway through the story, do you
1: realize who these characters are. Yep. Yep. That's a huge thing. That's a huge thing. That always happens to me with every draft I I write. Yeah, I don't really know who the characters are until I put them into situations And how they how they react to those situations. That's why I think it's really good to To look at sitcoms for this sort of a thing because a lot of times people will uh, People are huge on like, you know, having character arcs and that and that's fine, but I don't think you always always Need character arcs or that's the only way to tell stories because you know With sitcoms or like a james bond movie or something like that It's pretty much the same character and it's just about how they're reacting to it and just seeing Oh, how does that personality type react to this situation this different situation? so that is when I start discovering my characters is when I actively put them in these situations and I'm like, Ooh, I outlined it like this, but the way this character is speaking to me right now, they would not do this. And that's actually a funny thing too, is that writers will always talk about, um, how their characters will not adhere to the outline. You're like, stop, stop <laughs> doing that. You're supposed to go over here, not into this back alley, you know, like, you know, so it's funny how that happens. It's like, you know, not like even D- real. D-
0: why aren't you, why aren't you doing what I want you to do? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's why I think having that, um, that kind of plan in the back of your mind, I think that eliminates half of that struggle because if, like, if you know exactly where the plot is going and you've done that planning and you've done that planning on what the rules of the world are before you go in, it just makes the editing on the back end so
1: much yeah, easier. Yeah, it's so much easier. Like I actually just got done with my first young adult novel, which is going through beta readers right now. And it is so clean, like the way um, people are, and people are enjoying it. Like usually my first drafts are kind of like hard to get through or like a, the, my first shareable drafts da- are like, what is going on? Like, yeah, sorry, i gotta rewrite that as a sense. Uh But this one in particular with this, why this is, would be my fourth full novel. So I've sort of gotten it now. Um, and it's definitely, I'm going to do the process I did with that one with every future work I ever do. And it was, it was just, it's so clean. It's the cleanest like early draft that I've ever had.
0: Yeah. And, and well, I mean, I've had a similar experience because I've literally just finished one on the cusp of being finished um, one novel. And then there's another one that I've literally just started with someone else as a co-author project.
1: Oh yeah. I have a few co-authors out there. Those are fun.
0: Yeah. And it's been super fun, but um, I feel like it's the finished one is currently off with an editor and the feedback that I've had from that is feeding into How I'm writing this newer one, and I feel like it's coming out so much cleaner than the initial version of the first one. Like that's the damn truth. Yeah, it's just it's just been so good to to just be like, oh, okay, well, this would probably have been my I don't know fourth or fifth stab at it, but it was actually my first one this time. So it feels like the the process is speeding up a little bit. So you've had that experience, I assume, too.
1: Yeah. Oh no, for sure. And then even just on like the smaller level on technical stuff, like um, just writing my prose is a lot cleaner where I don't have to have because you should always have your editor not like being a proofreader, but really trying to elevate you know the voice of your work. And if they're spending all their time you know just doing very technical kind of stuff, uh, then you're not getting the most out of that that person and and their productivity. So. What I've noticed is that you know, anytime, or what I made myself do is that anytime I got a note from an editor, if I saw it more than once, I made damn sure that in my next drafting phase that I would, you know, uh, make sure I didn't do that again. I'm
0: kind of going through. It's it's almost a different version of what you were explaining. Um, so I'm going through Montgomery Pierce, and she's amazing. The process we've got is we'll send a couple of chapters or about three chapters and then she'll go over those i'll get feedback and i can apply that feedback for the next three chapters and i feel like that works really well because if i'd have just sent the first one it would have been the same feedback over and over and yeah, over yeah we again. would have, but- have
1: i think we have the same method which is a talk about it differently but it's the same where yeah your three chapters i would have called that sequence one for me and then she would look at sequence one and then i would continue on from her notes and yes those notes that she Because, yeah, I've noticed that when I first started, I had editors who would, like, say, like, stop doing this. And then later on, like, you know, 50,000 words in, stop doing this. I'm like, how can I stop doing it when when (laughs) it's the same draft? Like, it's impossible for me to do that.
0: No, And that's right. And that's why I think, like, I know, because I had um, a previous draft of this sent to a different editor. And I had said, would you be happy um, to view this in chapters. And he said, no. So I know some, Yeah, most of them don't do yeah, that.
1: They, they want the full thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I'm like, it's, it's, I feel like it's so much better on their end too, because I, they don't have said, to keep think, saying, you know, don't do this. Don't do this. This thing that I told you to stop doing in chapter one and you're still doing it in chapter 21. Like yeah. don't do it. <laughs> so I, I think no, that's, I totally that's absolutely the best way to do it. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to your characters, do you sort of actively sit down and plan them in the beginning? I know you said that they change obviously and they do, but mm. do you actively sit down and plan them or is it just the plot
1: that you No, I sit definitely down plan, them? Uh, plan them and usually how they their personalities come about or how I even insert them is based on the protagonist and whatever is going on. So like for example, like the construction of the the antagonist pirates that Zala deals with came about because I needed her to have some sort of challenge like on the crew. Um, but they didn't really, I don't know if they really actually, yeah, I don't think they existed in my outline, for example, um, or just like, you know, just, just, just foils, so just foils for the characters is how a lot of times they come back. But the core personality, the one that I uh, deal with the most, which is I think kind of obvious is the main character and everyone else's personality kind of stems around that main character, unless that character already you know existed in my world or has existed in you know some other uh project that i've done but yeah usually it's all stemming around the the protagonist themselves and i do spend time there's like this questionnaire that i do uh, like asking questions not like the what eye color do you have but like you know for example one question i'm only thinking about this because i'm like in the the romancy love potion thing but like one of the questions was like um you know what was your first sexual experience versus saying you know like what's your eye color, Uh, brown? (laughs) You know, like, what does that tell you about the character? But, like, what's your first sexual experience? How did it make you feel? And then me sitting in the character and answering that question is, like, oh, okay, that's the, if I'm talking about this and that, then this is probably the backstory or the catalyst for why her worldview of sex is this way, you know, or, you know, that sort of thing, having those, like, kind of deeper questions um, versus just, like, the very generic, you know, kind of doesn't really matter sort of thing.
0: Yeah, and I think... You've hit the nail on the head, the difference between, say, when someone begins begins their writing um, career or someone is just about ready to publish, the difference in the questions that you ask. Because, you know, in your head, when you first start writing, you will say, yeah, you know, what's their skin color? What's their eye color? What's their hair like? What's that? You'll talk about these external things but that's not what people read books for. They don't read books for, you know, people's eye color. They, they are interested in how these people are affected by the world. And that's, it sounds to me like you've got a very similar style to how I work and how I work is based on, um, uh, what's it called? It's the 22 steps to, to, screenwriting or something like that it's it's Mm -hmm. john truby's novel and it's so good and it sets up all the steps you need to create an organic story um that will build itself and one of the key things is to find a core theme and then have everyone be a different facet of that theme and it sounds Mm -hmm. to me like that's exactly what you're doing here is to create that main character and say okay well how do these characters each link to each other they're not just separate isolated characters that are going to be oh
1: and that's a huge thing for um what reviewers have said is that um basically zala and kareem the two protagonists go through very similar steps um and then people i think one of my beta readers when they were reading was only like hey isn't this like the same thing that's going on with like zala i'm like yes it's (laughs) intentional it's it's by
0: design yeah um so, sorry, I just had to look it up because I couldn't remember what it was called. It's The Anatomy of Story, 22 Steps to Becoming oh, a Oh, yes, that's a, that's a famous yeah. one, yeah. It's a great book, and and it definitely has that um that idea of setting up the story and what is it about because, I mean, I can't tell you how many stories I see now in movies, or maybe not movies so much with everything that's going on in the world. We don't see a lot of movies anymore. Right. But um, with, you know, a lot of movies and TV and, and stuff like that, the, the story doesn't have any purpose. It's just kind of like, doesn't this look cool and it's just like that's great but why am I supposed to care like right. all the other movies look cool too so <laughs> it does it does seem like that seems to be missing from a lot of storytelling now which is probably why I felt it was so refreshing to have a story like this
1: oh thank you for sure
0: mm-hmm. um so I guess moving from the creative side, which is something like, I feel like I know a little bit about, I'm going to move into something that I know nothing about, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which is the business side of things. So you decided to create bandolay books. And as you said, you've published your own books under that, but you've also published four other authors. So what gave you the idea
1: to go in that direction? Well, I mean, it really didn't stem from me wanting It's people reaching out to me actually. So initially... I was just going to publish myself like most indie authors do. Um, and then when I wanted to do the whole novella thing, I was like, oh, you know what will be good? And because I noticed the thing I liked about Star Wars expanded the universe is that there was different voices that were attached to it. And so I was like, oh, you know what? I have writer friends. I would love to see their interpretations of my world. You know, like let's have them take the side character and hey, can you write about like what they were doing, you know, during this part of the book? Or can you write about what happened like prior to these events and you get like when i read their stuff and gave them feedback and stuff like that um it actually helped broaden my view of my world like i think it would be na- very narrow if i had just done everything on my own like, if i wrote all the novellas myself and all the shorts myself and that kind of a thing because the way that they interpret it based on like you know what they've read and what i explained to them um isn't always the way that you know it comes out i'm like oh wow like the way he's writing that obviously is not the, my intention that means i need to you know work on that element of my story or this part of the world needs to be um, more fleshed out and also just the idea of hearing other voices because of authors' interpretation of what their main characters are going to do what their side characters are going to do are going to be you know a little bit different and so i found that was very important to me um and so i started working with more and more i started collaborating more and more people in my own world and then that stemmed to uh, because of how professional i i don't treat myself as really like an indie um i treat myself as a as a publisher so i put in the the funds for you know professional covers professional editing um and all that and in audiobooks so i had uh, an author reach out to me who said hey i you know wrote a children's book in two thousand and thirteen, I think, is when he, he wrote it. And He's like, I've been trying to like update it because you know, you know, it hasn't really been selling all that well or you know, haven't really had any like promotion for it. And I was like, Oh yeah, sure, like, like let me look at it. And then I looked at it, and I'm like, Oh yeah, okay. So I think the first thing we have to do is we're gonna have to go hire a new artist. Um and so I like I looked for an artist, um, and then he agreed on that artist and we did everything. I did all the formatting for him. We did like a a joint venture kind of like a investment thing, royalties on the back end. And so in doing that, I got yet another person who reached out to me uh, who wants to do another children's book. And then I've had other people who are now co-authoring with me, um, not even just in my own world, but like they're doing their own stuff too, but it's going to be like in the Bandelay Books imprint. And yeah, that just happened by me collaborating and by people reaching out versus me actively going out and saying, I'm going to be an indie publisher. Because really I just started out saying, I'm going to write my, my stories <laughs> and that's it.
0: Yeah, well... I guess it comes back full circle to what we were saying before, which was that, you know, writing is seen as this kind of isolating experience and it's something that you purely do on your own, but there can, and and probably often should be quite a bit of collaboration behind it. Now, whether that be collaborating to write the story or collaborating with you know, an an editor or or something like that, like there really is probably more collaboration than people would give it credit because it's just seen as, oh, you just have to sit down by yourself and and bash out a story. And it's it's not
1: necessarily true. And I think my mentality kind of helps or was molded because I was... Pretty much for all my early 20s, basically in pursuit of like the film industry, or, you know, multimedia, because YouTube, like, you know, whatever you would say like that, and all those kinds of things are based around collaborative efforts. And so it's something that I'm just naturally inclined to, to do. So it was not a hard thing for me to be like, Oh, yeah, let me just collaborate. This person does this job, I do this job, you know, we can get the product out better and faster, you know, versus, you know, doing everything on your own.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's something that's super important for people who are thinking of doing indie publishing is that, you know, you can have the most amazing story and if you've got a terrible photoshopped cover, no one's going to buy it. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's the thing that like people say, you know, you shouldn't judge a book by its cover, but let's be honest, everyone does. Like if a book's got a terrible cover, unless it has word of mouth, no one's going to read it. So I think that that's an important lesson that people have I think it's important even more
1: so for Indies because we are you know fighting against because i mean i'm going to be very honest, there is a lot of indie uh, works out there that are not of quality, and it does not give um, the, the idea or the branding of uh, oh, give me one second because my cat is meowing my ear off because he wants food let me feed yeah, him no really no quickly. worries just i'll be right back yeah Hold no me. worries sorry he was acting like he was dying or something and he was <laughs> all good just gonna continually just like he was that's all good. Like i have i have two money. cats so i know exactly <laughs> exactly what that's like <laughs> <laughs> would not stop um okay yeah so so the thing about being indie is that you're working from behind, especially when there's a lot of indie works out there because, you know, literally anybody can upload to Amazon if they want to. Uh, and in doing so, there's going to be a lot of subpar work out there. And I think because of that, or at least for me, I know I have to work twice as hard to be professional because I know there's a stigma for for self-publishing and, and indie publishing of uh, from the reader side and from cr- critical side or tr- traditional publishing side is that you know there's nothing of worth there but i mean of course we know about you know the success stories like the martian and in other words like mark dawson is a huge a huge name in indie uh, yeah i think he's even having one of his uh, things adapted actually yeah there's another uh, sterling and stone that they're actually having uh, their uh, fat vampire being adapted as well to like some show uh, so there are successes out there but you have to be you know you do have to work twice as hard just to, and it, one of those things being like the cover you know you have to make sure you're putting some effort in there
0: yeah. Well, cause I guess it's, it's not regulated. And so as much as there are, as you say, amazing stories out there in the indie market that they are kind of often overshadowed by the sheer volume of of people who don't get editors who don't get professional um, covers done. Like, so you, you've got to factor that in. Whereas there's, there's a level of, um, I don't, I don't want to say a level of quality when it comes to trad- traditionally published books, because they have their fair share of terrible books too, but mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, there, there is that, um, that perception of, of lowered quality when it comes to indie. So you kind of got to fight against that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, that's a very important lesson for people to learn that you've got to you know, put that money in and, and that's where I've said to you that, um, that's something I am terrible at. And if I do ultimately decide to go an, an indie route, that's something that I would need to become better at because I'm not very business-minded, but if you are going to go indie, I feel like you need to be very business-minded.
1: Yeah, no, certainly.
0: Yeah. Um, so going back to creating a book like this one, how long do you go from the initial concept
1: all the way through to it's ready to go. I don't really have a clean timeline yet. Like I, I want to get to a point where I can do all of it within six months, but I'm not really full-time with writing. Cause I've noticed. like, I remember I was with my editor or my critique partner um, at the time. Now he's my editor um, where he, we would have our sessions. I think we would do like two hours a day or something like that, or not even like two hours every three days, something like that. And he's like, oh, we're getting so much. And I'm like, you know, we would get way much more done if we actually did this full-time, right? Like if we did it full-time, we probably can get like, you know, a book out every three months, something like that. Because um, right now it takes me about a year to get a book out, but I don't think it really actually, like if I actually tally up the hours that it took, it's not actually like, you know, a year. Um, yeah, it's more so, so that you can't just dedicate that entire right, time to it. Exactly. Yeah. So, so yeah, that, that, I would say for me right now, I'm trying to get myself down to like a six-month period. But yeah, right now I'm at a year, but that's because I'm doing so much with um with YouTube and you know all my client work and stuff like that. And I also do audiobooks now too. I <laughs> added that in, but I'm actually okay with that. Like I don't need to be super fast. Like I know that there's just some strategies of, um, indie is to do like a thing called a rapid release strategy where you just you know release a book a month. I don't really you know aspire to do that. Uh, I'm okay with like being slower. Um, but yeah, I would like to get myself to like a six month time period.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I I guess that just makes my head spin the thought of, of making it so that you could release a book every single month. I don't know how someone could do that. Um, I think I did um, read, not read. I actually listened to a podcast where they were talking to someone who, Actually, got it down to almost like a science, and they were able to write entire books in like a week or something like that. Like, it I was, I mean, that
1: is, I mean, it depends on how big your book is because you know, uh, officially, uh, over 40,000 words is considered a novel. Um, and then what genre you're doing, like, if you're doing romance, they're typically uh, shorter. Uh, you could, you know, if you're, there's people in the indie community that claim they can write 10,000 words in a day, uh, so yeah, if you're doing that you know in, in your week that's fifty thousand words and you've got yourself a book in a week so like it's possible i don't know yeah. how you know of quality i mean i know i know
0: it's possible but i'm just like it makes my head spin to think of, of having to <laughs> yeah. do that i just can't I, I don't i think i just burn out by that point i don't think i physically could oh yeah could that's do a huge it. thing, thing. yeah yeah so that's just not something i don't think i could ever do um
1: so this book took about a year is that correct yeah, I mean, well, this one had a big of a journey because it used to be a much larger thing or it was becoming a much larger thing because at first the book was just going to be from Zala's POV and I was going to do it as like a duology where I would go back and you see a Kareem's POV. And then when I got to like halfway into Zala's story, I was like, you know what? Their stories are way too interconnected. I probably should just have it like as a dual POV book. So now I went back and did that. But then as I was doing that, I was like, this book is like, we were. I think me and my editor were at the 130,000 or 140,000 word count point. And I'm like, this book isn't even, like, we're barely halfway. I can't release a book this long with being like, you know, I'm still a new author. I'm not like a, you know, I don't have like a, a huge fan base or like, you know, a, a name or whatever. Right. So I can't, I can't, you know, George R. R. Mark could do that. Like, if, if his book, his first act was 130,000 words for Game of Thrones, I mean, most of his yeah. books are like pretty much that long. That's fine because people already are buying are for that, you know, that series. But I was like, I don't think I'll be able to actually like legitimately sell this um and then when i'm saying selling it i'm not saying like selling it to like you know like an agent or anything like that i mean like selling as because i basically you know, selling it to people yeah, yeah i yeah i cut out the middleman. i'm just going directly to the readers like i don't know if i can convince readers to read this you know this big thing so then we were like oh well let's try and split i think yeah we were in japan at the time because that time we were traveling to japan together and then we were like doing one of the scenes i was like you know something man i think this should just be like three stories Cause, and apparently that's how star wars was too is that um uh george lucas initially wrote the whole thing out as like this big thing and then he split it into three um so yeah that's what i ended up doing is i just split it three so in terms of like how much length of time (laughs) i don't know what it would be for for it because it it's changed so often like first it was like you know the single pov then it was double pov and then it was like okay now we have to rewrite it so that you know the act breaks are actually book breaks um so it's hard it's hard to say like how much time it would take but i can say that uh going from this book to book two is going to be a time period of seven months or something like that so i am getting closer to like my the way i want to start writing my books in terms of the timeline
0: yep and i guess because you've done that foundational work you're able to now blitz into the second book because you've kind of right. done a lot of that that work before i mean it's all
1: it's it's funny because it's all technically written like i have the ending written i have the um but now it's being redone because you know obviously as we made it like into three books there's new plot lines and characters that popped up like uh for instance a lot of the Nubia uh, uh Captain Nubia stuff and like uh Iokaja and the other characters that showed up like on the back end of the first book like weren't there at all they did not exist in you know the first versions of the book so then when they when you have these other characters and they're like arcs you have to like you know create new subplots you know for for those characters or also just be like well you just kind of completely just you know didn't even forget did you forget that person that existed you know kind of thing so it's all written it's also somewhat difficult to like make sure everything fits in <laughs> you yep. know based on what came before it
0: well i suppose and that's the thing with like when you're creating a story and you you change one detail then you're like oh hang on yep. Now, how does that impact this? And then the butterfly effect happens. And before you know it, it's, it's, it's kind of like completely changed book three yeah. or something like that. So, you know, there, yeah. there is obviously stuff that you've got to go through and, and change as you go along. But, um, but very it sounds like you've got to a fairly it. solid yeah, foundation. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, it's good um, to have
1: that foundation.
0: So, going back to because I'm jumping back and forth here like nobody's business, but jumping back to um, your own. Uh, imprint that you've created. Mm-hmm. If someone else was looking to do that, what is the advice? Like having been through that already and, and having set it up now, what's what's the advice that you would give someone who is considering
1: that avenue? I honestly don't know because I didn't even like mean to get into it. Like I was, it wasn't like an active goal or something I like, actively like pursued. So it's hard for me to be like, you should do this, this and that. Because like really my journey was, me publishing myself, me wanting to collaborate with other people to just broaden the voice of my world and my worldview of my own world. And then also people coming up to me and being like, hey, I would like you to publish my book. So like, it's such a, I have a very specific uh, thing. However, uh, if you are trying to go the indie route or um, making your own imprint, I always suggest uh, people look at the Creative Pin podcast. Uh, That was one of the first ones that I listened to. And then there's also Mark Dawson's self-publishing formula. Uh, And then there's also a career author is one that I recommend and then there's a YouTuber. Her name is Jenna Moresi, who is amazing and super personable and and just down to earth um, YouTuber who who is a indie published very successful. She only and then what's awesome about her too is that She only releases a book a year or I think even like it's been more than a year since her last book Um, And she's still able because most times, you know in the indie community you'll hear a lot of people saying that you have to write a billion books to even like break even in this industry um but she does you know one year there's also another uh woman i forget her name right now i think it's tammy but i could be wrong about that she also just writes one book a year you know um and makes it work so um those will be the main ones i recommend people to go to in terms of like getting into you know the indie space and the indie community yep so
0: i guess i guess also it's it's just sort of saying, you know, you've got to do a bit of research
1: before you go in. Don't just jump in headfirst. Yeah, <laughs> like no, there's a lot. A of- like, I, it took me, like, I told myself that I wanted to write in 2016. So I spent, well, like, I think I was like the end of 2016 at that time. Uh, so I actually went ahead and did, well, in particular, because I knew I wanted to do this, like, this African-inspired fantasy I spent an entire year just doing research on African fantasy and then I spent you know several more months just figuring out the indie space because it's a completely you know entirely new thing that I wasn't um familiar with and you know I was it was me listening to those podcasts and just like understanding what, you know, PPC is or like what, it, what AMS is, you know, all these like, you know, little terms that you get, uh, book bub, uh, you know, uh, KDP, like all these things you have to like learn about, um, whether whether to go exclusive with Amazon. Cause Amazon has basically like a, a Netflix for books or do you go wide so you can be in libraries and, you know, be everywhere in the world. There's, there's a lot, there's, there's a lot to it. So I would say, take your time. Like definitely. Take, I, I took a year, you know, to do the research before I even, got ready to write or to publish Um, it's not something that will happen instantly. Um, But yeah, it's possible.
0: Well, I think, I think, yeah, that comes back to what we said before, which was that so many people often perceive it as, you know, I'll just upload a book to Amazon and then it'll be done. And then I'll sell millions of copies and I'll become famous. And it's like, it's a little bit more complicated than that. Yeah. Um, It's a
1: lot more complicated.
0: Yeah. So, and, and I guess it also speaks to the fact that, you know, we talk about publishing and we say, you know, you can go traditional or you can go indie, but within traditional and within indie, there's so many different avenues that you can take. Like you can, with traditional, you can go um, a big press. You can try a small imprint. You could try a a really small press. You could, and then when you come to indie publishing, you can try, um, you know, publishing with Amazon. You could try publishing independently yourself. You could try starting your own press. There's a million and one different ways for you to publish your book. So I guess that's the big takeaway from this episode is do your homework.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. Well, cause as I said, that's something that I am utterly hopeless with is, is being business savvy. So if I do go down that route, that is something I will definitely need to learn.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm doing that today. That's one of the things I like aggravate me because I do like all my spreadsheets cause it's the beginning of the month. So I have to like, you know, the royalty share for all the authors and then like tracking yeah. what my sales word and like how much I have to allocate to like my marketing budget. Like it's not my favorite thing at all to do, <laughs> but it's a necessity. And and also on the back end of it too, you do get a higher royalty share when you're indie versus, uh, to, I mean, unless you're getting like those seven figure deals, which happen one in a million times when you're J.K. Rowling or Stephen King or Tomi Adeyemi. Uh Oftentimes, working writers don't get those kind of pay cuts. Um, and they often have to work you know second jobs and indie does give you an avenue for more uh, for re- more revenue and, and a bigger a slice of the pie. Yeah, so
0: I mean you can you can sell less in order to to make a and make more profit. Yep,
1: exactly. Yeah. You you actually need a smaller you you don't need as big of a fan base uh, as you would with traditional publishing because there's so many people who need to be paid in traditional publishing um, you know w- when is uh, you doing it on your own and you're working with like, you know, freelancers, um, you really have the whole, the big mantra is, you know, you just need to find your 1000 true fans. And if you just have just those 1000, then you're fine. (laughs) You know, like you don't need everybody in the world. Yeah. You don't need everybody in the world. Just, just those few.
0: Yeah. No, I think that might be a perfect place to leave it here. So thank you so much for coming on. Um, before you go though, would you like Mm -hmm. to tell everyone where they can find you?
1: Oh, yeah. So the best way to find me, I have a website uh, that is my first and last name, uh, AntoineBandele.com. That's A-N-T-O-I-N-E, the French spelling, uh, B-A-N-D-E-L-E.com. And that's where you'll find literally everything. You'll find my YouTube channel. You'll find my social media accounts. Uh, Also, if you just Google my my first and last name, it'll pop up with everything, uh, YouTube and all that.